We are um, in Psalm 119, and uh, Psalm 119 is a little bit different um, than pretty much any other chapter in the Scripture. Uh, for starters, it's uh, Hebrew poetry, and it's, which means it's a, it's a different genre uh, that we might be familiar with in the New Testament. You know, we understand uh, more of the, the Greek linear thought that, that Paul writes with, and it's a little easier to preach an expositional sermon from that perspective and from those passages. But here we are in Psalm 119, where the author is a Hebrew, or a Jew rather, and is writing like he thinks, which is in circular pattern, not in linear pattern like we might. And so this, this presents a little bit of a challenge for us to really truly understand this text, understand the chapter. Um, as you know, I'm more, I'm more comfortable preaching expositionally, verse by verse, and yet we come here to Psalm 119 and we have to teach topics in order to understand the verse. And so I hope you understand what I'm saying. We, we, it feels like we're, we're hearing topical sermons, and I don't want to announce this too loudly, but you are hearing topical sermons. But the reason you're hearing topical sermons is because you can't understand the psalm unless we get to the details of the topics. Does that make sense to you? So I hope you'll be patient and gracious and forgiving of me if you need to be uh, for this particular approach. I'm not certain how else to approach it. Uh, I suppose we could, we could preach the, the stanza as a whole and, and be a little more comfortable there and proceed a little more quickly. But then I think we might miss some of the important details that give us an understanding of the passage. So uh, with that, I want to um, take you to our verse today. It's in Psalm 119, verse 19. This is in the third stanza. And the author says this, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. I'm a sojourner on the earth, so please don't hide your word from me. Um, are you a sojourner? If you embrace Christ, the Bible would say that you are. Listen to something we've just heard read. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So brothers, are you a brother? Are you a sister in Christ? Then you're a sojourner. Um, so that, that's important to understand. I, I think it's a very basic reality. To sojourn simply means to temporarily stay. Uh, as Christians, we understand, or we should, that this is our temporary home. We're pilgrims, if you will. We're wanderers. We are traveling in a foreign land. But the words pilgrim and sojourner aren't often used in our vocabulary these days, but I think they're words that present an important and even critical Christian mentality. Uh, I think that one of the biggest reasons that you may struggle in the Christian life, or any Christian may struggle in the Christian life, is because of a misunderstanding of what it means to be a pilgrim, what it means to be a sojourner. Um, any view of the Christian life that doesn't include a pilgrim mentality is going to create a dysfunctional Christian. If you are under the misunderstanding of your place in this world, you're going to have difficulty growing in Christ. And so as we consider the message of this particular psalm, Psalm 119, which is the pursuit of holiness, and particularly this stanza, which is the social risks of pursuing holiness, then to address the idea of sojourning makes some sense, doesn't it? Yeah, so uh, if you're going to pursue holiness, you will be ostracized in our society at some level. We're promised that. So how are you going to deal with that? If in fact, you are living for Christ. If in fact, pursuing him and, and maintaining a pilgrim mentality, a sojourner mentality, you're going to be ostracized. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? And I think that's what uh, 
we want to cover today. So let me suggest to you, by way of summary, uh, that understanding the pilgrim life is an important part of a maturing Christian. Understanding the pilgrim life is an important part of maturing as a Christian. Do you want to mature as a Christian? I know you do if you're a Christian. So you need to understand this concept. You need to understand what it means to be a sojourner. And understanding sojourning helps us understand this stanza, the, the, the Gimel stanza here in Psalm 119, which helps, helps us understand Psalm 119. You see where we're going here? Okay. Let me ask you some questions to kind of engage your, your mind and get you in the same channel that I'm in. Uh, how do you prioritize your daily life? How do you decide what you're going to do first, second, and third? What's most important to you today and tomorrow? Secondly, how do you use your free time? Where do you spend your money? And how do you think about your possessions? We could go on with these kind of questions, right? Um, but the Bible calls us strangers, aliens, pilgrims, sojourners, uh, and it does so throughout Scripture. Uh, but it also, in almost every occasion that it used those terms, like we heard this morning, it, ex it, it explains to us at least some level what it means to walk as such. If we are sojourners, which we are, how do we walk as such? Um, I, I, I think we need to understand our, ex uh, or at least examine uh, our understanding of the pilgrim life. I, and I think we should do this regularly. Um, we're going to do it, of course, every time it comes up in Scripture, which it is today. But I think we as individual Christians need to maybe think about this a little more than we, ought, than we do. Um, so that's what today's sermon is about. Unless we have a biblical view of sojourning, we're going to be constantly struggling to gain traction in the Christian life. We're going to be constantly struggling with growing in Christ and seeing progress. And so I think it's critical that we understand this. Um, we must view this life as a passing reality. It's temporary. And uh, if, we can, if we can grasp that, I mean, and not just intellectually understand it, but, but get it to move to our, our soul, our heart, then we'll be, I think, better off. When we go on vacation and stay in a hotel, uh, we really, I, at least I've never done this, you may have, you might be more eccentric than me, but I've never gone out and, and bought new drapes for that hotel room. Um, I've never been discontent with the carpet. Actually, I have been discontent with carpet, but I've never thought about replacing it in that hotel room. We don't do that. Why? It's not our home, right? We don't, we're not going to replace the vinyl in the bathroom in a hotel room because it's not our home. And I think that is the mentality that we need to assume with our lives, our daily lives. This, according to Scripture, is not our home. As Rick said earlier, we're citizens of heaven, not of earth. And if that is the case, it should impact how we live, right? I think so. Um, let, me, let me ask you to turn with me. Keep a, keep a finger in Psalm 119, but turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, your Bible should open there. Um, maybe... Your Bible has forgotten how to get there, but probably not. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, and if you recall, this is a chapter about heroes of the faith. These are folks who actually lived as sojourners, as pilgrims. That was the point of the whole chapter. Now, let me remind you by reading a few of these verses a little bit about these folks and their mentality. Starting in verse 13, he says this, These all died, who? That all these heroes of the faith. These all died, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak like this make it clear 
that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, like Abraham, for example, he was called out of Ur, if they were thinking of the land that they had gone out, they could have returned. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. So understanding Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24, uh, requires clarity on this concept of sojourning. All right, we're not going to get the point of this particular stanza if we don't understand sojourning. So let me, let me talk to you a little bit today about sojourning. As topical as this sermon sounds and is, it's important for you to get the stanza, okay? So the elements of sojourning. I want to talk to you about the basics, the practice, and the results of sojourning. The basics. Why do genuine saints consider themselves to be sojourners? Why, why do these Christians uh, of church history, these, these heroes of the faith of, of Hebrews 11, why do they consider themselves pilgrims? And I've got a couple ideas uh, for us. First of all, our birth is from above. People generally love their, their native soil, right? Their place of origin. We've been watching the Olympics and uh, what do you see as you watch the Olympics? You see people from every nationality in different countries cheering for their athletes. Why? Because they have an affinity to their land, their people, right? Um, and that is the case with us. Uh, if you've been born again, where did that originate? If you've been born, from a, uh, born of God, if you... Uh, are a believer, where did that originate? In God, right? <laughs> that's, that's what the Bible tells us. Uh, didn't, uh, you don't remember the, the, the story of Nicodemus, right, where Jesus said, you must be born from above if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Um, Tyler just read 1 Peter 1, 3, and, it's, and it says this, he has caused us to be born again. Who? God has caused us to be born again. So uh, our birth is from above. If we're truly born from above, then our deepest desire will be to return to the place of origin, to, to, uh, to be excited about the place of origin. So this emphasizes that this place in which we currently live is not our home. Secondly, our inheritance is there our place of origin, not here. You know, th this isn't always the case, but mostly it is. <clears throat> your, your inheritance, if you ever got any or ever planned to get some, comes from your place of origin, right? <laughs> I have never received any inheritance, I don't, I've never been anybody who has, who's received inheritance from an unknown source. You know, some person that lived over there in Australia I guess I'm related to them. I've never heard of that. I suppose it's happened. But generally speaking, our inheritance come from our place of origin. Right? <laughs> and, and this is the case spiritually. This is where our inheritance is. It's in heaven, not here. Because that is our place of origin. We, we certainly have blessings on this earth, but, but comparatively, the bulk of our blessings await us in heavenly glory, not here. And so, as we're thinking about the basics of sojourning, we need to understand that our, our birth is from above. Secondly, our inheritance is from there. Remember what Jesus said in his, in his high priestly prayer in John 17? He said that his objective was to transfer us, those who believe in him, to heaven to see his glory. That's where our inheritance is. That's where our joy, ultimate joy, will be. And not only that, it's how our family is. <clears throat> what family is that? It's our spiritual family. Of course, we all pray that our biological family will be there, and God is a covenant-keeping God, a family covenant-keeping God, and, and uh, many times he saves families and family units. But I think that uh, we need to, to understand that uh, one of the basics of, of sojourning is realizing that our family is 
in heaven. That, that's where we're going to ultimately be reunited. The, the great reunion one day is there, right? And then next, our eternal home is there. It's, and I've already alluded to that, but we're going to live much longer there than here. You realize that? Um, we, we don't call the hotel our home because we spend one night there or two. And we don't sleep well while we're there. But uh, <clears throat> it's the same here. That Paul, uh, you know, talking to the, the Corinthian church, he says, the light and momentary afflictions that we endure here is nothing compared to the weight of glory that we will experience there. And why is that? I think partly because of the superiority of heaven over earth, but mostly I think it's because of the sheer amount of time we're going to spend there. Versus here. Remember, James called our life here a vapor, a mist, poof, in comparison. You know, <clears throat> back to Hebrews, verse 13, it says, For here, that's, that's earth, we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. The, friends, we're, we're walking through here. We're walking across the stage, basically, to our eternal place, our true home. But what is the practice of sojourning? That the basics are, are, they include what I just said, but now what is the practice? How can we practice being better sojourners? Uh, and I got a few things I want to suggest. First is um, we need to exercise faith, hope, and love. That's the things that, that define our faith, right? Jesus talked about that. The apostles talked about that. Um, and when we exercise faith, hope, and love, I think it demonstrates, it cements the superiority of the life to come. Not only in our minds, but the, in the lives or minds of the people that are watching us. It, it, when we exercise faith, hope, and love, it, it, it uh, causes our minds to adopt this sojourner mentality. And let me give you the reasons why. And I'm going to work through these quickly, so uh, hang with me here. Faith. Hebrews 11.13 says, these all died in faith. All these believers from the past died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, um, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So, and my point here is that this should be our goal. Our, our goal should be to be persuaded of the things not seen, the things yet to come. And what's that require? Faith, right? Um, reason is a wonderful thing, but reason cannot see past time. Only faith can do that. So if faith allows you to uh, see the glories of heaven, which it can, right? The reason that you believe in heaven is because of faith. If faith allows you to see the glories of heaven... Um, then it can allow us to consider our earthly life from a heavenly perspective. That same faith. The same faith that you believe in heaven with will help you live life here as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. It allows us to embrace the next life, to embrace the reality of heaven, and and embrace the momentary reality of this life on planet Earth. That's faith. How about hope? How does exercising hope help us develop a, a sojourner mentality, help us practice that? Well, what is our Christian hope, ultimately? Isn't it to be in the presence of Christ? Isn't that our ultimate hope? I, I think that is. We longingly hope for that. We, we believe the promise of Jesus in John 14 that he has gone to prepare a place for us. That is our hope. And so practicing that hope helps us think of things here temporarily. This, this is a temporal situation because our hope is there in Christ with him. And then, of course, love. Um, Jesus I talked about this often. The Apostle Paul said the greatest of these three that I've just mentioned, faith, hope, and love, is love. Um, love for Christ. Love for Christ is a basic element of the Christian faith. Um, and, it, and it fills the heart of every believer. It helps us embrace the pilgrim life. And I think Colossians 3.1 identifies this for us. It says, if you then, speaking of the pilgrim, 
have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Right? That, why? Because you love Christ. <laughs> That's why. So this, this is a, a command to be sojourners from the Apostle Paul's pen. Seek the things that are above. That isn't a suggestion if you read that closely. It's a command. And it's based on our love for Christ. So when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit causes two, two basic things to happen. And I'm sure you're aware of this, but the first is an enjoyment of God. When you become a Christian, you begin to enjoy God. Before you became a Christian, before the Holy Spirit transformed you, you had no interest in God, let alone love him and enjoy him. But when you become a Christian, when the Holy Spirit transforms you and regenerates your soul, all of a sudden, you begin to enjoy God and love him. And secondly, desire to obey him. And this is not hard for us to understand. When you fall in love with somebody, you desire to be with them, right? Yeah, I remember this. Um, when Sherry and I were, were falling in love and we were separated by miles, uh, these, these letters that we received uh, daily were nice, but they weren't sufficient. Um, we're not satisfied with phone calls and texts. We want to be with the person, right? Even, even Skype doesn't do it. You want to be with that person. And so this is the same for the Christian. We, we love communion with God. We love his word. We love the fellowship we have with the Holy Spirit. But we yearn for that proximity to God that being alive in this body on this planet doesn't afford us. And so we yearn for that further, that further revelation of God in Christ to us in the days to come. So <clears throat> the, the love for Christ won't allow a Christian to be satisfied here on this planet as much as we love him and as much as he communicates his love to us. There is still yet something in your heart, isn't it, that's drawing you heavenward? Yeah, and that's a design of God. Um, the second thing, as I mentioned, there's two things that happen um, when a person becomes a Christian. The first is an enjoyment of God, a desire to be close with him. And second is a desire to obey him. This, is, this comes with our new nature. Um, th this desire, I think, magnifies our pilgrim status. If you become a person who loves and desires to obey God, that magnifies that you're different than those who don't. Right? You, you, you start acting differently. You prioritize things differently. You spend your time and your money differently. Um, because you desire to obey God. Um, in the, in, on this planet, in this place, we have this, this difficult reality of the presence of sin. And we desire to be free of that. And of course, the only place we'll be free of the presence of sin is in the presence of Christ one day. So when we practice faith, hope, and love, we get better at being sojourners. Do you have a sojourner's mentality? Are these things ringing true in your ears right now? So let's continue to look what it means to practice sojourning. This, the second point that you'll see in your outline is looking forward to your heavenly home changes your priorities. <clears throat> if we're sojourners here, if our heavenly home is what we desire, then looking forward to your heavenly home is going to change your priorities. This is seen all over the Bible, but no more clear than in the Apostle Paul's comments to the Philippian church when he said this, I'm hard-pressed between the two, that is, living or dying. How many of you can actually say that? I'm not sure whether I want to live or die. Well, Paul evidently was pretty clear about it. <laughs> he said, I'm hard-pressed about this. Uh, my desire is to depart be with Christ, <laughs> for that is far better. See, Paul desired to be with Christ above everything, even above life. <clears throat> Which is why the psalmist in Psalm 63 said, your love is better than life itself. So do you long for the day that you'll see Jesus? If so, it'll change your priorities. Or are all of your affections and desires focused on this life, the enjoyments of here and now, 
third way to practice this is making provision for the next life reveals your heart. We can see this uh, in our own lives. If we're following Jesus, what, what do we see? Our lives will reveal an interest in seeing him and investing in the eternal kingdom that is yet to come. That, that's, that sojourner mentality, it, it reveals our heart if we have it. We, we won't be consumed with the temporal. And so look at your own life. If you can, real quickly, just scan them. Do your priorities demonstrate a greater interest in this life or in the next? Matthew 6 is recorded some of Jesus' most famous words. Uh, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where's your heart? Well, that's where your treasure is. Where's your heart? Is it here or there? And then fourth, reminding yourself of your true home clarifies your values. You know, sometimes we get our values mixed up as we walk through this life. Uh, We lose perspective on different occasions for different reasons. But if we will practice the sojourner's mentality, um, if we'll remind ourselves uh, of our true home on a regular basis, it clarifies our thinking about what we value. And I think this is really important. Do these following thoughts cross your mind occasionally? Soul, this is not your home. Soul, don't settle in. Do not put down roots. Do not find your joy in this. I think that's the kind of stuff we need to expose ourselves to more often than we do. The Apostle Paul said to his disciple Timothy, in his first letter to him, he said, the rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now listen, why, is it, why are they supposed to do all this? To store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Not the, not the temporal future, the eternal future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We could could spend some time here, and I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to. But Paul is saying this, this isn't truly life. (laughs) That is truly life. So do you use the blessings that God has given you, and they are many, to enhance the next life? Uh, do, Do you use your time, your energy, your finances to invest in your future comfort? in the future comfort of others in the next life? Back to Hebrews chapter 10. For you, and he's giving, this is an illustration of what this means. Using your your blessings for the benefit of your future comfort and the future comfort of others. Hebrews 10, 34. For you had compassion on those in prison And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves had a better possession than an abiding one. Who cares about your possession? Because you know that you have a better situation yet to come. Right? So in this case, these people people needed help, and so those other Christians who had the, the means helped, even though it cost them dearly. Why could they do that? Because they had a sojourner's mentality who focused on the future. The, the, the real, true life that was yet to come. And I know this is really hard for us because we're so material in thinking and in reality. I mean, we're, we're material people. But I'm, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is wedged open your heart just a, a, a smidge so that some of this will find a resting place. Because really, I think, critically important. Why do you think God blesses you financially? And you say, well, he doesn't. Uh, look at worldwide income. All right. Uh, I read an article a few years back. Everybody in America, or something like the top 98% of Americans, are in the top 2% 
of those of the world in terms of income. Everybody in this room <laughs> is blessed. Why? Do you think God blesses us because we're nice people? Because the color of our skin? Because where we're born? I think that it's pretty obvious from Scripture why God blesses people. You remember what God told Abraham, why he was going to bless Abraham? It's the same reason he blesses you and me. So that we'll be a blessing to others. That's why. He doesn't bless us so that we become more selfish. He doesn't bless us so we can spend more stuff, buy more stuff and spend it on ourselves. That's not why he blesses us. So, <clears throat> why, why do you comfort yourself with things that are meant to comfort others? <clears throat> you know, when you think about the things that you struggle with, um, what, what is it that you, what is your technique or strategy to deal with uh, difficulty in your life? Is, is your strategy to think of Christ, think of future glory, think of heaven, is that how you comfort yourself in your current trials? Or do you comfort yourself in your current trials with chocolate cake and shopping sprees? Or fishing trips? How do you comfort yourself? How would a sojourner do it? Let me tell you a story about... <clears throat> fellow named Polycarp, uh, 1,862 years ago last week, February 23rd, 156 AD, this Polycarp fella was killed because he was a Christian, and he was killed in an arena in the city of Smyrna. Um, Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. How'd you like that? This guy was a disciple of one of Jesus's top three disciples. It's Polycarp. And he was tied to a stake on February 23rd, 156 AD and lit on fire because he refused to assume the world's priorities. The, the Authorities in Smyrna demanded that he recant his faith, demanded that he bow to Caesar. And he would not because he had a sojourner's mentality. He knew this life was temporary and the next was eternal. When given one last option, one last opportunity, to get out of this horrendous death, at the age of 86, mind you, he said this, 86 years I have been his servant, speaking of Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? What kind of mentality does it take to go through that with that attitude? A sojourner's mentality. That's the only mentality that will get you through that kind of circumstance. And I would suggest to you that the things we struggle with, which aren't nearly as difficult as this, are also only experienced victoriously if we have a sojourner's mentality like Polycarp. You see, we're never going to view ourselves as pilgrims and sojourners until we treasure Jesus more than everything else in this world. The Timothy Group guys are meeting every Thursday morning and reading through a book by Jared Wilson. And he said something uh, in last week's chapter that um, really hit me. He said this, I tend to believe that most of us do not truly treasure Jesus until we've run out of alternatives to him. Until every last option has turned up dry. And so if you want to really experience spiritual growth, if you really truly want to adopt a, a sojourner's mentality, 
pray to God that you'll run out of options. All right? Ask God to remove all your options to Christ. And that's a scary prayer, isn't it? Because we like options. <laughs> if this doesn't work, that will. That's why we have savings accounts and insurance policies. We like options. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have savings or insurance policies. I'm saying you need to think about these things correctly <laughs> as a sojourner. Friends, are you still duped by the world? Do you truly still believe that the world has more to offer you than Christ himself? What's it going to take to change your mind? Oh, Christian, don't be deceived. If you embrace the temporary over the eternal, the shallow over the profound, then you still don't get, don't understand the way of a sojourner. So we've seen the basics and the practice. What about the results? What happens if you actually embrace this sojourner mentality? Well, you might end up like Polycarp. Sorry to break it to you, but um, that may happen. But the sojourner mentality affects our behavior for sure. Whether or not you get tied to a stake and burnt to death remains to be seen. But if you will adopt a sojourner's mentality, it will change how you act. In what ways? Well, we'll, we'll try our best to avoid worldly allurements. Well, that's a start, right? We'll try our best not to be distracted by what the world has to offer, all the shiny stuff they're trying to get our attention. 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. James 1.27, Religion that is pure and undefiled. Okay, this is true. Sojourner religion here that James is talking about is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and listen to keep oneself unstained from the world. To avoid being stained. To do your best to avoid worldly allurements. And what are those allurements? Well, the Apostle John categorized them in three ways. Let me read for you from the Apostle John's pen, the one who discipled Polycarp about being a sojourner, a pilgrim. He said this, and by the way, Polycarp read this and knew this by heart. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, father, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. And here we go. These are the allurements, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Those things aren't from the Father, John told Polycarp, but are from this world. And the world, in case you've forgotten, is passing away. These allurements are temporary, and they will do you no good. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Temporary allurements abiding forever. It's wonderful the way the Apostle John clarifies it for us, isn't it? What are the desires of the flesh? Well, they include the sensual impulses, uh, that would, the first, come, first things that come to our mind, the, the, the desires of the flesh, sexual sin, stuff like that. But the Apostle Paul also said this, they included this. The deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, the first, the first thing to come to our mind, he lists them. Okay, here they are. And then he says, idolatry, <laughs> thinking something's more important than God. And then he says, strife, not getting along with your spouse. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, arguing, oh, wait a minute. Envy, you're bringing it right down to where we live. These are the allurements. That's one category. The next is the desire of the eyes. You know, sin is so hideous, isn't it? it it's, it's the originator of sin, Satan, the enemy, uh, tries to gain access to our souls through any port that he can. Um, and it seems like uh, 
we're in a, a boat with a window screen bottom here in life sometimes, doesn't it? You need to turn, you know, keep the water from flooding your, your boat, but the sin enters through the mind, through the eyes, through the senses, and our eyes are particularly vulnerable. Remember Achan and his sin? Uh, if Achan had, would, would have been blind, he would have never been stoned to death. He saw gold and wanted it. David, if he would have been blind, he would have never sinned with Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba and wanted her. Psalm 119, the chapter we're in, verse 37. The psalmist knows this and he says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Don't, don't let me look at things. Don't let me be lured away by these temporary things in life. See, the sojourner fights against grasping and temporal things. It's, it's a battle. I'm not saying that you, you will never pursue worldly lumens because that's what sin is. So we, we do that, but we fight it, don't we? We resist it if we are sojourners. And then what about the pride of life? We have the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is uh, where the sin of self-sufficiency lives in this department, where you think you don't need anybody or anything to make it. You are a strong Lone Ranger. Um, and many have said that, uh, and I think it's right, that this particular sin of pride is where all of our sins come from. And if you think about it for a little bit of time, you can see how that works. But this cocktail of allurements, the, the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, this has been Satan's ongoing strategy since Adam and Eve. There are no new tricks in his book. It's the same stuff. And they have upended humanity. So those who are sojourners, they, they have uh, results that take place in their life. And the first is being a sojourner affects their behavior. And then second, I want you to see that they actually prefer heaven. What's the, what's the result? What's the result of being a sojourner, you're gonna prefer heaven. Over what? Earth. And I don't just mean intellectually, I mean in reality. Um, Colossians, I think, chapter three, verses one and two, three verses one and two, are our guiding verses. It says, if then you sojourners have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things, things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So where do your affections lie, Christian friend? That's the question of the day. Um, is it in this world? Is it in the distractions of this life? If that's the case, I think you're probably struggling to understand what it means to be a sojourner. You're probably just struggling to see victory in your Christian life and, and ongoing maturity. You're, you're going to see this progressive reality of the Christian experience to be a little slow. And you wonder, why don't I see growth? Well, this is why. See, sojourner's focus is Godward, heavenward. And I want, to, I want to encourage you with this following and closing remark here, that um, God has given the church to give us glimpses of heaven. God has given you the church to help you in this struggle with sojourning, to help you be a better sojourner. And he's given the church, for example, the Lord's Supper and baptism. These sacraments that remind us of the glory of Christ and, and what is awaiting every believer. Baptism, death, burial, resurrection. Um, 
the, the Lord's Supper, his broken body and, and spilt blood for our redemption. Uh, the, the word of God, which is filled with direction for the sojourner. Christian fellowship, which strengthens us for the journey. These are found within the church. And so I would encourage you, friends, to make the church a priority in your journey. I don't mean anything less than that. A priority, not an add-on. And oh yeah, I go to church occasionally. That, that can't be a sojourner's mentality. It's in the church where we are reminded of grace. It's in the church where, where grace is exercised. It's in the church where we're taught of the grace of Jesus and Thomas Manton said this, he said, Grace is but young glory, and the joy in the Holy Spirit is the suburbs of heaven. Grace and the Holy Spirit, friends, is that taste of glory that we all desire. Now, let me, let me get through the rest of this pretty quickly. I'm running out of time. But... Uh, <clears throat> You'll see in your outline that sojourner's mentality affects our relationships. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here other than to read you this verse, 1 Peter 4, 4. With respect to this, they are surprised who are they, those who aren't sojourners, those who are enemies of Christ. They are surprised when you do not join in with them in the same flood of debauchery. And what do they do? They malign you. <laughs> they malign Polycarp all the way to death. Now, let's... Let's go to the final point here, the necessity of guidance, and I'm going I'm to breeze right through this. And, and if you're still having your book open to Psalm 119, this necessity of guidance comes from the second half of that verse, hide not your commandments from me. This is so critically important to a sojourner. Uh, the, the commandments of the Lord cannot be obscure. Uh, they can't be remote. They, they can't be non-existent in your Christian sojourning experience or you won't be a successful sojourner. Psalm 119 is about the importance of the word of God for the sojourner, the pursuit of holiness. All right, so th this is critically important for all you sojourners out there, the necessity of guidance. Um, this, this is so critically important. Um, Tony Pinch and I used to hunt together. And we went up to Darlin Mountain once to hunt deer. And we got in a pretty significant snowstorm. But in the snowstorm, you can see what you're hunting. You can see their tracks. And so we found this large deer track, and we were following this thing in this raging snowstorm. And we were getting pretty excited. We were, we were on the, right on the heels of this thing. And we were pretty sure it was massive by the size of those tracks. And then about, I don't know, half an hour to an hour, we, we saw some human tracks following the same deer. And we go, oh, no, there's another hunter up here. And we follow, follow, follow along. We discovered it was our own tracks. That deer had walked us in a circle. And we're like, where are we? You know, we got so turned around, we didn't know where we are. We, we didn't know where the truck was. Um, and that wasn't the only time I've been lost on Darlin Mountain, by the way. There's something wrong with that mountain. But, but the point here is, we could have used a GPS. We, we could have used a guidance system. And I think, here's how I'm connecting this for you. This entire sermon has been peppered with Scripture intentionally, and I know I've thrown a lot at you, but besides supporting the immediate points that I was making, I wanted to be able to say this, God's word is necessary in our spiritual journey. Without God's word, you have no guidance system. That's why the author here is pleading for guidance. Hide not your word from me. I will be lost without it. God's word is our spiritual GPS. 
It's God's positioning system. Hide not your commandments from me. We need a guide, and that guide is God's word. You see, the children of Israel, remember them in the wilderness? They had a guide. It was God himself, a pillar of cloud by day, of fire by night. That is what the word of God is for us. And we must have that. And so, friends, do you treasure God's word? Do you embrace it? If you're going to be a successful sojourner, you must treasure the word. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What is, other, what is that other than direction, guidance? You're going to stumble around the dark if you don't have it. So, friends, are you a sojourner? Do you have a sojourner's mentality? If you're going to pursue holiness, you're going to be ostracized. Uh, you will experience the effects of sojourning. If you're going to be a sojourner, you've got to practice being a good sojourner. You've got to have the guidance of the Word of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are in such desperate need of you. We depend upon you to open our minds and hearts to your Word. We ask that you would continue to do that miracle for us. Uh, without your Word, we are uh, blind. Uh, we are walking, sojourning in darkness. And so, Father, we are, we're grateful for the word you've given us. I ask that uh, you would help us, Father, as we struggle to be better sojourners, as we uh, resist the, the allurements of this world, as we seek to follow Christ with all of our heart. Uh, we must have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do these things. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.